Only women, children, and dogs are loved unconditionally. <laughs> women, children, and dogs are loved unconditionally. A man is only loved under the condition that he provides something. Okay? I've never heard a woman in my life say, you know, after he got laid off, we got so much closer. Welcome to the Don't Knock It podcast, where we address misconceptions about Jesus' character, his church, and his word. By doing this, we hope to encourage you to delight in Christ before dismissing him, to know him before knocking him. I'm your host, Chris Ramirez, and the misconception I'll be addressing today is that crying and showing brokenhearted emotion, specifically from men, is a sign of weakness. So I have no idea where this came from, where it started, or how it was able to continue. This idea that men showing emotion, more specifically emotion that moves a man to tears, that it's somehow considered a sign of weakness, a sign of emotional instability, a sign that you really can't keep it together for your family, can you? I mean, how could this be? I think what baffled me the most is that men in churches believe this too. I mean, how could this message of harsh, cold-hearted masculinity be perpetuated in the church when the very Savior we cling to wept several times himself. Maybe I've been living under a rock, or maybe I've just placed myself in situations where I hear it more and more often now, but in recent years, I've heard so many stories about wives, sons, daughters, and family members say things like, I've never seen my dad cry, or the last time I saw my dad cry was when I was eight. I'm 35 now. Or something heartbreaking like, yeah, I would have never guessed he was struggling that much until I sat down and really dug to see what was really going on. Or something even more tragic like, I wish I had known. I was too late. I know I mentioned fathers in those examples, but it can virtually be applied to any older man in your life. So I just want you to take a moment and think about the men in your life right, right now. When was the last time they were deeply moved to tears and were not ashamed of it? They didn't try to hide it or joke around it, dismiss it, or just outright deny it. Outright deny that they were crying or that they were drunk so that the alcohol was the reason for, their, for this emotional outpouring. I know, I know my fellow Hispanics could relate a little to that one. But over the last couple of years, ever since, ever since I read Jason Wilson's book, Cry Like a Man, which is part of the foundational inspiration for this podcast episode, I've begun to really take some time to think about why this is. So I, obviously I'm no expert. I'm not a psychologist, sociologist. I don't know exactly why men do or don't cry in, fr in front of others. I'm just someone who has felt ashamed letting a few, a, a few tears roll down my cheeks in public when my heart just couldn't handle certain circumstances. And for some reason, that shame, that shame that I felt, it didn't feel right. Why did I feel ashamed to show emotion in public as a young man, as a young man growing up? Well, because the culture taught me to. So young man, any man really, any man listening to this, I just want to tell you, you are welcomed here. 
This isn't some wacky safe space talk. I'm just simply saying you have a seat at this table. You have a seat at this table to begin to build some mental and spiritual fortitude through dealing with your unresolved trauma. In fact, that reminds me of a quote from Jason Wilson himself, where he says, The hardest thing for a man to do is deal with himself. To introspectively confront his own emotional pain and trauma so he can stop unjustly inflicting it on others. Welcome to episode 24, Cry Like a Man. A few years ago, I came across a YouTube video of a man teaching this uh, young teenager how to react to his tears through martial arts, and later found out that this man was named Jason Wilson and that he wrote a book called Cry Like a Man. After I read the book, I took a picture of myself with the book and wrote one of those long captions that nobody ever reads and posted it on Instagram. And then the the caption read like this. It's quite ironic that I was, as I was reading this, I tried to hide my tears at coffee shops, the break rooms at work, and in my car in between shifts. This book broke me. It reminded me of many details in my life that determined the course of my personality, my actions, choices, and reactions. Mr. Jason Wilson, thank you for heeding to the Lord's call in your life. Despite all of the internal warfare, God gave you the same transformative power as those in the New Testament that heard, rise up and walk, to overcome circumstances and to simply forgive, to love, to be intentional, to learn and love truth. In today's age, my generation of young men, as well as yours, sees this as a form of weakness as you so intricately unravel through your story. I can't tell you how many times I heard the phrases, oh, stop being a B, or you're such a P, for simply saying no, refusing to engage in an act that that would result in someone else getting hurt or showing more emotion than socially acceptable. To my young men, I say this with the purest intentions, give up the facade. It's hurting you, the ones closest to you, and causing you to harbor, to harbor things the human heart was never meant to hold. To my older folk who led us astray, we forgive you. And I say this with the biggest lump in my throat, we still love you. But what you taught us almost destroyed us. I say that not to cause shame, but from a regenerated heart pleading with you to come to terms with your unresolved traumas because what you do or say matters. It's life-changing. And to my women, if any man around you is being too, quote, emotional, Just know that for whatever the reason, the man was driven to an unbelievable low. Please don't take advantage of him in that state. You play an incredibly significant role. He and we need you more than ever in those times. Please continue welcoming us with gracious and merciful arms. To all my men and to all of my men who cry like men, I've tagged a few. Thank you for exuding Christ-like humility in the face of adversity. Although stumbling is inevitable, you are, you are reflecting the true light and power of the Lord. Just know you're doing much more good than harm. I am a testament to that. And then I finish the caption with the hashtag, cry like a man.
So around the time of reading this book, I realized that there was this whole movement tailored to deconstructing this idea of toxic masculinity. Now, I know there are so many ways that we can define this now, but a few years ago, I came to know it as this attitude that men need to prove themselves as competitive, domineering, and superior by crushing those around them and never letting anyone know that they experience emotions other than aggression and anger. For many men, unfortunately, trying to maintain this image of strength, machismo, and bravado has only led to difficult and sometimes deadly circumstances. If you don't think you've experienced toxic masculinity simply by me trying to define it, here's basically what it looks like and sounds like on a practical level, on an everyday, day-to-day life. So if you're a man and you ask for help, you're being overly dependent. Figure it out yourself. You experience a threat or disagreement, put your hands up, boy, let's settle this like men. Your heart gets broken and you feel that burning sensation in your nose and eyes and you know that tears are coming? Boy, you better find some privacy to let those tears fall, man up, and be strong for those around you. You let some tears fall in public? Dismiss it away with a joke or two and feel ashamed of yourself afterwards for appearing so weak. You decide to tell another man that you love and appreciate them? Whoa, watch that. That's a little overboard. You might come off as gay. You don't want to give the wrong impression. These, all of these are all expressions of toxic masculinity. And I think the thing that really confused me the most when I became a Christian was that a lot of the same toxic traits I experienced growing up were being perpetuated, were being continued in the church, which was baffling to me, as I mentioned a little earlier, considering who, who we claim to follow. Jesus, Jesus, the living Christ, the serving, the suffering servant, the perfect God-man, the literal embodiment of the ideal man. I know it shouldn't have surprised me so much because we're all falling human beings. I get that. But the church body literally has someone to look up to. Who we as men are commanded to do everything in our power to imitate. So when those tears fall, We look to Jesus, we cling to him, and open the word to figure out when he was moved to tears, how he responded to them, and what effects those tears had on those around him. In the Bible, we see at least three references to Jesus weeping. In John 11, when his friend Lazarus dies. In Luke 19, when he witnesses the sins of his people. And Hebrews 5, when the author of Hebrews refers to Jesus' anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. These three instances give us such a wonderful picture of our Savior's heart. Now, you may be inclined to think, well, Chris, you can't just point to Jesus and something he did and say, see, Jesus did it. Why can't you? Because he also flipped the money changers tables. 
Does that mean I can walk around flipping business tables whenever and wherever I get frustrated? So I must admit, that's a valid point. So here's why I mentioned Jesus's tears. Emotional strength by the world standards, emotional strength by the world standards for men is defined by never shedding a tear. And where does that lead most men? Yup, you guessed it, anger and frustration. Anger is the natural outpouring of built up emotion. This frustration can come in many different forms, whether it's physical outrage, verbal abuse, pride, or maybe even distancing oneself from situations that will make one feel vulnerable. And honestly, I think this is the one is this one is quite possibly the most common. Actually, let's think about this for for a moment. All of the spaces that we have created in men's lives is to help them cope in ways other than crying when needed. Places like man caves, strip clubs, and sports bars. Places where they are trying to cope with or release certain emotions that they can acquire during a work week. And yet when it's all said and done, they still come home to their wife and kids, frustrated, feeling unloved, unappreciated, relied on for everything, and overwhelmed. Who do you think was relied on the most in human history while he walked this earth? This man, Jesus, walked on the scene when a whole nation had been waiting for him for thousands of years and he certainly felt the weight of his responsibilities and the public execution that ultimately awaited him. He needed to cry. He needed to go away and pray with tears in his eyes as he poured out his heart to his father. I mean, he was in fact fully human. We can learn a lot about ourselves when we take a moment to think about Jesus' own humanity. So for us, when we don't deal with our trauma in healthy ways, we end up bringing it home to inflict it on others. So when the beer, the sports, the music, the cars, the attractive waitresses, and everything else we use to drown out our emotions, when all of those things have failed to heal us, we take our Uber home, still empty and broken. This often leads the wife or child to ask what's wrong and the man to reply with, nothing, I'm good, I'm fine. But let me tell you, do not believe a man when he says, I'm fine. I've once heard of pastors say that whenever someone says, I'm fine, the word fine serves as an acronym, F-I-N-E, which stands for feelings in need of expression. Although when someone says I'm fine, they're usually in need of space or just an environment to decompress, that's when you should dial in. That person is giving clues that they need help or are having trouble expressing their emotions. Your job as the one closest to them is to cultivate that space for them. The worst thing you could do at that moment is push. Push them to do more or push them to be more. That's probably what exhausted them in the first place. And I love what Jason Wilson, Jason Wilson says about this. He says, when a good man is close to the edge, the last thing he needs is a push. Check out this snippet from a poem called Teach a Boy to Cry by a poet named T. Sleeveless. Most men will only experience unconditional love from their mothers, and some of us don't even get that. Most of us have never even felt appreciation or respect without conditions or hidden intentions. We don't know what it sounds like to hear, I see you, 
and I'm proud of you. I'm glad you're here. You really make a difference, yet the expectation is to constantly be displaying the strength and love that the world is hesitant in conveying. We're expected to have a thick skin but get judged if it turns to a hard shell. The first step in being a man is ignoring the hunger. Cause yes, boy, you're gonna be starving. Starved of attention, starved of affirmation, starved of love, starved of being told that you are enough. Step two in being a man is comfortability with replaceability. You are only as good as you are useful. You are only as valuable as you are needed by others. Should there ever come a day, boy, where you fail to provide everybody with a smiling face, then do not be surprised when they say all men do is take up space. This is a poet named Teeth Sleepless from a poem of his called Teach a Boy to Cry. What he talks about in this poem is the blatant disregard for the value of a young boy who was taught to fight before being taught to deal with his emotions. Men, contrary to popular belief, are very emotional beings. And no, I'm not referring to emotions like anger, frustration, pride, or aggression. I'm talking about sadness, love, humility, sentimentality. I can recall several movies and real life situations actually where a young man or full grown man acts out in an aggressive way and someone next to him says, dang man, do you need a hug or something? Although that comment may make us laugh, it's a sad reality because he probably does. He missed out on feeling valued, being loved, and experiencing respect and honor in his childhood, and so he sought out to receive value, love, respect, and honor on his own terms. This is why young boys hit the streets. They didn't find a community under their own roof, so they intended to find it elsewhere. If my dad won't teach me how to be a man, I'll find someone who will. And that usually came with a beatdown or the handing of a gun. If, a me- if my mom won't show me love, then I'll find a woman or many who will. This usually comes with a revolving door of girls. These young men boldly call themselves thugs. And Jason Wilson brilliantly addresses that by using the word thug as an acronym by defining it as a traumatized human unable to grieve. These young men ex- these young men have experienced heavy trauma. And yes, the absence of a father and his love and respect, the lack of love from a mother and her maternal nur- nurture is traumatic. So young men walk around traumatized and decide to call themselves thugs. They begin to see the world through the lens of this trauma, so much so that they begin to blame others for not getting what they want. The blame is often shifted from themselves to others. And it makes me think of this phrase, daddy issues. I remember in high school and even elementary school and junior high, we used to refer to girls who were promiscuous and overly friendly with all the boys. And we used to say that they had daddy issues and i just it just makes me think how did daddy issues become an insult to girls when it's men who failed at being fathers the world needs to begin to see the power and love 
or the power of the love that comes from a man. It is truly revolutionary. Now to circle back to an idea the poet T. Sleeveless alluded to, men often define themselves and are defined by the culture around them as only as valuable as what they can produce. Our culture teaches us that usefulness is in proportion to beauty, health, brains, and ability. Like T. Sleeveless said, you are only as good as you are useful. You are only as valuable as you are needed by others. And it's no surprise then when we begin to believe that, that when we as men begin to believe that, that it is what our identity is. It is what our identity becomes. So when we get fired from a job we thought we were good at, that put food on the table, that allowed me to feel more like a man, that we feel like our value as human males in this world has dropped significantly. If we continue telling men that what they do defines them, if we continue, if we continue telling men that their worth is found in how hard they work, if we continue telling men that they should never be tired, never emotional, or never overwhelmed, all we will have left is broken boys seeking value in other things. As we, as we see in the opening chapters of Genesis, man is, man is certainly created to produce, lead, and protect. So, when, so it's no wonder that when any of those things are threatened, the man feels like his personhood, his masculinity, and his inner identity is being destroyed. If you're a man and you can't produce, work, or provide for yourself or for your family, you're no man. If you can't lead in the workplace and be the smartest, strongest, and tallest in the room, you're no man. If you can't stand firm and protect your loved ones, you're no man. This, this is the trap many men have fallen into. When men feel threatened, they hide behind things that are temporary. They usually hide in their own minds and refuse to share what they're struggling with because they think that they can handle it all, on the, all by themselves. By doing that, we stay incarcerated in our minds because for some reason, that's better than being vulnerable outside of them. Men seek approval through feeling productive and feeling valuable only through their ability. So if they don't end up cheating on their women, they'll end up running themselves into, their into the ground with their work. This is the reason why men who are lost, who, this is the reason why when men are lost, they get lost or they can be found in their work or in the arms of other women. Men above producing, leading, and protecting, you are commanded to reflect. Yes, I'm, I'm not going to say that you don't have these things, but yes, you do have God-ordained responsibilities, and you should honor those things with everything you have. But don't fall into the trap that those things define who you are. Rest, cry, put your hands to the plow, Fall into the embrace of the women God has placed in your lives because goodness gracious, they are God's grace to you. The presence of women in a man's life to watch over, care for, lead, and protect strengthens and motivates a man to be exactly that, a man. In fact, it makes him more like Jesus. And I want to explain that by explaining an often misinterpreted word called meek. 
restrained power. That is truly what that word means. This is what having a daughter does to a man. You see this super masculine man smiling and having a twinkle in his eye looking at his baby girl. And that image, that's not a representation of weakness, but meekness. That man is not separated from his strength simply because he is showing deliberate care and emotion for the one he loves. In fact, he's showing a strength many countless men absolutely fear showing, and that's passion. I'm not talking about passion for your favorite sports teams, your career, hunting, barbecuing, or whatever so-called masculine thing you can think of, but the passion it takes to be intentional, authentic, with the ones you love the most. So let this serve as a reminder to all the women listening out there. No matter how strong, masculine, or brave the men in your life seem to act, this is your sign to check on them. Have those difficult conversations because you never know what type of, what type of weight they feel on their shoulders. And maybe it's weight, maybe it's weight that they were never meant to carry. Encourage them to lay it all at Jesus' feet because that's where we can see, that's where we can find a true rest, restoration, and, and healing. To lay it at Jesus' feet, the historical, accurate Jesus that is revealed in the Bible. It is in Him that we seek to present to you today, to delight in Him before dismissing Him, to know Him before knocking Him. Thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Don't Market Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ramirez. Grace and peace, family.